So we're going to talk about complete forgiveness. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard about forgiveness. But we really want to talk about complete forgiveness and what that looks like. You see, forgiveness is something that's needed in all our lives. If you're in any kind of relationship, which we talked about in a series for quite a while, there's going to be some point in those relationships where you'll have to practice forgiveness. And if you don't understand forgiveness, you'll find yourself becoming bitter and weighed down with life and starting to block off people until you're alone because that's kind of where unforgiveness takes people. Now, when we talk about complete forgiveness, obviously we can't leave out the forgiveness that God provides for us. So we're going to look at that as well. So today, the first part of this series, complete forgiveness, I want to look specifically at repentance and release from sin and its penalty. Complete forgiveness, repentance from sin and its penalty. Now, when we repent, forgiveness immediately causes us to be released from the penalty, our wages of sin. Look with me at Romans 3, verse 23 and 24. Romans 23 and 24. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So he is talking about the forgiveness that Christ brings to you and I, and the fact that it releases us from the penalty. Okay, this is kind of key, and it's maybe something that most people understand with forgiveness, but it's key. All right, look at another verse with me, and then I'll do some more explaining. Romans 6, verse 23. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And also Luke 24, 46 to 47. Then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So one of the things we are old to talk about as believers is this thing called repentance and remission or forgiveness of sin. You see, forgiveness, as people, we will make mistakes. As we looked at that first verse, it is a thing that happens. We've all sinned, it says, and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, on a level of our relationship between us and God, forgiveness was necessary to bring us back into relationship with the Heavenly Father. And the penalty had to be paid, but Christ paid it for us on the cross. When we receive what he did, we're forgiven, and we no longer have to feel the penalty. We no longer have to be punished. Now here's the thing. In scripture, we'll, we are told that we should also forgive those around us the same way we were forgiven. That means when we forgive people around us, we no longer hold them and hope that they'll be punished. You know, maybe in the past you're like, well, I forgive them, but I hope I never see them again. You know, I forgive them, but boy, are they ever going to get, God's going to get them one day. Not me, but probably we're not quite getting forgiveness. And the thing is, when we hold unforgiveness, it affects us on going. Now, I mentioned about that 
Zoom course that my wife and I were part of. It's through Family Foundations, and they're actually amazing. Now, we took the relationship course, and I thought, you know, it'd be a lot about relationship. They actually got, of course, into forgiveness. I prepared this message ahead, but they had some great stuff about forgiveness. And the thing is, they get in uh, groups on the Zoom, and they get into smaller groups, and then they say, let's pray and ask God if there's, you know, a time in your life when you would you had unforgiveness or something you need to deal with because you see the things we hold in unforgiveness can come all the way from when we were kids and they affect us to this day. Now, we dealt with some serious ones for sure, but one came to my mind. I didn't actually bring it up in the thing because I think I took up most of their time and I was the only pastor in the group. You know, <laughs> I need more ministry. <laughs> this one came to my mind, but this other one came. I didn't bring it up to them, but it's kind of a funny one, but yet it affected me really for years and years and years. And uh, I was five years old, and I remember so many things vividly about this time. I was five years old, and I had to get my tonsils out, and they took my tonsils out, stitched them up. I went home and got a cold and coughed until I ripped all the stitches out, and then I had to go back into the hospital. So I remember going into the hospital, and how shall I say this? Well, just be honest. I was a mama's boy, and mom, you know, had to be with me. Well, anyhow, mom couldn't stay at the hospital for that long a time because they had to make sure the bleeding stopped and it was going to take some days. So she left and I started crying. <laughs> I had lungs back then too. Like I, you know, God gave me lungs. I cried and I was laying there in the bed crying and I'm like, there's a window there. I'm going to go see. I, my window happened to be facing the parking lot. And when I looked out, here was this blue car with the boat tied to it and all the stuff. They were going camping and leaving me in the hospital. Well, then I really cried. And I remember crying so much that this red haired nurse would come to my door and go, shut up. And I would just, you know, I was kind of got afraid of her. So I'd be quiet until I couldn't see her anymore or until I fell asleep. I'm not exactly sure how many days I was there because I'm pretty sure they started putting sleeping pills and whatever they were feeding me because I wouldn't stop crying when I was awake. And the red-haired nurse finally came one, the one morning and I could hear her coming down the hall. I'm going to enjoy this or something. She's saying, I'm like, this doesn't sound good. I was quiet because I knew it was the red-haired nurse coming. She comes around the corner, roll over. And the next thing I knew, there was this sharp jab in my backside. And I went, ah! Apparently it was the day for my operation and she was really glad to give me the needle. Yes, I screamed a lot. Now, the thing is, we were talking about in the thing, unforgiveness, and this story came back to my memory. And I thought, really? Like, you know, I had unforgiveness, you know, because they went camping without me or something. You know, I don't know for sure, but I was thinking about it and I realized, okay, there's some stuff there. You know, the idea of maybe feeling abandoned and the idea of unforgiveness because I got left. And you know, to this day, when summer comes and I come to preach at church, I have this fear that I'll be the only one here and everybody else will be camping without me. No, I just put that in there. <laughs> Don't all go camping without me. No, there was an unforgiveness and feeling of abandonment that carried with me until I was able to deal with it. Because if you don't deal with this stuff, it stays with you. You see, we're a package, we're a body, soul, and spirit, according to scripture. And the things that happen to us stay with us unless they're dealt with. So the older we get, if we haven't been dealing with things, we could be carrying a lot of stuff that affects everything we do and affects every relationship we're in. And here's the thing. The number one way you deal with past hurts with past traumas, with past problems, is forgiveness. It's 
amazing. Forgiveness is key. And we need to learn how. We need to understand complete forgiveness because you see, forgiveness is not just saying, yeah, I'm sorry, I forgive you. It is deeper than just words. Now it begins with words, but it's more. Let me give you a couple stories from scripture to help you understand forgiveness. Now, in today's message, we're just looking at the fact that the penalty is taken away. In the next couple of messages in this series, we'll even go deeper into what forgiveness brings. I'm going to tell you the three things it brings. Forgiveness, number one, takes away the penalty. Forgiveness, number two, allows healing to happen. And forgiveness, number three, causes us to be restored and go far beyond. Okay, there's three things that forgiveness brings. But let's just look at the first one today, the fact that the penalty is taken away. I want us to look at the story of the prodigal son. Jesus is telling this story to help people in his time understand the love of the heavenly father and to understand forgiveness. Luke 15, 11 to 24 there's a few verses, but just read along with me. And to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began, he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. You see, the prodigal son is repentant to the father. He realizes he's made a mistake, but he doesn't actually understand true forgiveness. But he does realize he made a mistake, and he knows he needs to ask forgiveness. But he has no idea what the father's reaction will be. You see, you and I sometimes need to go to the father and ask him to forgive us, but do we know what his reaction will be? Do we truly understand how much he loves us? Or do we think, well, I'm going to ask forgiveness, you know, at least he'll forgive me and I guess I, I won't go to hell, but you know, maybe my life's just going to be horrible from here on out. Not true. Yes, having sin forgiven allows you to be free and cleansed and you'll spend eternity in heaven, but it's much more than that. You see, his penalty was completely erased and taken away. Did you notice there's nowhere in this story where the father said, yes, it's good, you can come back, but you owe me some money because you wasted it all. Not once, did he? Not once, because the penalty was erased. You see, true forgiveness says the penalty is erased. You owe nothing. There is no punishment 
coming to you. This is good news for you and I. But once again, I have to say we must have the same heart toward others. Can we also forgive others in the same way that we say, oh, we want good for you now. I want good things to happen to you. You hurt me, you did me wrong, but I forgive you and I bless you. God's word says, bless those that persecute you. Bless those that hate you. Bless, bless, bless. Pray for them. When you're praying for somebody that persecuted or hurt you, you're not praying that something bad will happen to them. You're praying good things. Do we understand complete forgiveness? I hope you feel it from the Lord so that you can give it out to others. When I see people who don't understand how to forgive others, they also do not understand how God forgives them. And many, many times, if you are able to spend some time talking with a person who can't forgive others, you will find that deep down, they don't believe God has really forgiven them. And they definitely haven't forgiven themselves. Somebody who can't forgive others never forgives themselves. You know what happens? They hold everybody at the same standard that they hold themselves. So they hold unforgiveness to them and they hold unforgiveness to themselves. And holding unforgiveness to yourself is really unhealthy. Because you know what that means? You're angry, you're mad at who? Yourself. You actually think you are not valuable. You think you are not worth being completely forgiven. And you honestly believe that you are a not good person, good for nothing. I honestly believe that much depression comes out of unforgiveness towards yourself. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist and you can prove me wrong, but from scripture and what I've seen, much depression begins with unforgiveness first to others and yourself. Because the root of depression says, I'm useless. What's the point of me being here? Who told you you were useless? Who? Who told you you were useless? God's word didn't. Did an angry parent at some point in your life? Maybe. But you need to forgive them to break that lie. But here's the thing. If you've heard it maybe from others or you started to believe it, then the most person who actually has the say, which is you, you started to tell yourself the same thing. I'm useless. That was not in my notes, but that's for somebody here today. And I want to tell you what. God says you are valuable. You are a treasure to him. And with one bit of forgiveness, he will change your life if you'll let him. And you start fresh, just like this son. You see, this son started brand new, fresh. That's how God does it. God says you're amazing. Okay, I gotta, I'm going to keep moving on. But I know God was speaking that for somebody and just receive that. The Lord is going to continue as we go. You see, the, the Bible is full of stories of how God forgave. And there's a story that I got to look at here. And you know, you might fit in different ones. You might relate to different stories. This one is the story of Job. And uh, Job was a very righteous man, it says. But we realize as we read the story, he was somewhat self-righteous. And he was very proud. This story of Job is we go through, we find out it's actually a story of repentance from pride. Chapter after chapter, we read and we see these things, and finally in its conclusion, Job gets a revelation of the fact that he is proud. Look at Job 38 and 1 to 4. Actually, let me just say a little more. Maybe not everybody knows the story of Job. So Job was, uh, he did everything perfectly, okay? He knew the law. He knew what was right and wrong. He had his life scheduled to pray at this time and do, he did it all right. But he did have an issue with pride. Now, it says that Satan came and caused him all kinds of trouble. His children ended up uh, dying. His herds were killed. Everything he had seemed to have been taken away and and then he got sick and he had boils and he lay on the ground and he complained, but mostly he felt that God was doing this to him and there was 
No reason, because he was perfect. And so he has friends that decide to come along. First, they sit with him, and, you know, they're just being there. And then they start to tell him the reason they think he's there. Now, they're all kind of wrong, because they all think they know the answers to something they didn't have the answer for. But at the end, God speaks up and listen to what he says to Job. So Job 38, 1 to 4. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Job was extremely proud of his righteousness. We're speaking in this story a little more to the religious side of things. Somebody who's religious, they've got it right, and they are telling everybody else, you're, you should be like me, oh boy. And God says, wait a minute here. If you're so smart, just tell me this one thing. And then he goes on asking Job questions that Job can't answer. And by Job chapter 40 and verse 1 to 8, we're reading God talking to him again. Then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? So in chapter 38, God is trying to deal with his pride, he still wants to argue with God and tell God the way it should be. That's a lot of pride. Has anybody here ever argued with God? I actually have been frustrated with God before. I can remember telling him a thing or two. I mean, I knew that I didn't really know, but God can handle that, by the way. He's okay with you yelling and telling him stuff. Have a conversation and let him talk back. And this is what he's doing with Job. He's, he's trying to deal with Job's pride. And Job has actually continued to argue after that first time. He says, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already, and I have nothing more to say. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Does anybody besides me hear some serious pride here? He's going to try to say God is in error because he's so right. Whoa. Now we're here and we're there. Okay, we've never been there. I don't think any of you have here for sure, but it's a place you don't ever want to go. Never think you are so right that you have to tell God how it should be. Job 42, 1 to 6, Job finally lets every bit of pride go. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's me, it's I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Wow. Pride so ingrained that he had to be brought to that position for God to finally get a hold of him again. If you've ever met someone with religious pride, it's a scary thing. If you've ever come across someone with religious pride, they hurt and they judge those around them. And the only way God can deal with religious pride is to bring you to your lowest. Well, you'll look at him and say, I give up. I really am not that wonderful. I'm giving you two sides of the thing, aren't I? Went from one person feeling like they're nothing to the other person who also needed repentance, who thought they were everything. And Job was that person. I'm showing you these because these are places we don't want to get. But if we have gotten partway to any of them, Let's go to God and say, hey, God, forgive me. I'm not the righteous one. God, forgive me 
for thinking I was the worst of the worst. In, as you continue in this chapter, we're not going to read, but in verses 8 to 10, it tells us that Job was accepted, but his friends at first were not accepted with God because they didn't repent. You see, they also were like Job and thought they knew all the answers. Job ends up praying for his friends, as God said. They obviously repented for things they didn't know about, and then it says that God blessed him beyond where he was before. And we're going to go into that in another message in this series. Because forgiveness takes away the penalty. True forgiveness brings with it great healing. And complete forgiveness takes you to where you were and far beyond. We could say like Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. It's amazing. There is no end to what God can do with a person who understands forgiveness. And the forgiveness you've received, you give to those around you, I'll tell you what, it brings light, it brings healing, it brings joy. Forgiveness that's spread brings joy to homes, it brings joy to workplaces, it brings joy to churches. Churches can have unforgiveness brewing that causes so much trouble. Forgiveness is amazing. You know, in scripture, there was a, there were cities laid out in Old Testament times called cities of refuge. Now, when God gave the Israelites the promised land, he said, I want you to set up cities of refuge, and there were six cities. And the city of refuge was a place where people could go who had specifically done uh, wrong, and they actually say that they had unintentionally killed somebody. So to you and I, that's a pretty big deal if someone's killed. Now, if they felt it was unintentional or something happened, they could run to one of these cities, and nobody could judge them or give them their due. You see, in those days, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So a family member, if you killed somebody in the family, a family member could go find you and kill you, but not if they ran to a city of refuge. And if they stayed in the city of refuge, the leaders, the uh, God's Levites, would end up having a council time to see, okay, was this unintentional? If it was, they would stay in the city of refuge unharmed. No penalty could come. Interestingly, God set these cities up as a place of safety. This is a true picture of what Christ is for you and I. Christ is a place of refuge. In the Psalms, David said it, the Lord is my help, the Lord is my refuge. A place where you could go that is safe. When we come to Christ, we've come to a place where it's safe. Nobody else can pour out penalty and judgment upon us, and we are free. You see, Jesus truly is waiting to release each of us from sin and the penalty. We just simply have to be ready. We started with a verse, Romans 3, 23 to 24. And as I begin to wrap up, I want to read it again. It says, everyone has sinned and we all fall short of glorious, God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Psalm 103, verse 10 and 12. It says, he has not dealt with us according to our sin, nor did he punish us according to our iniquity. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. When we go to Christ, when we ask forgiveness, he removes the penalty and he takes the sin. It says he's removed it as far from us as the east is 
from the West. It's no longer part of us. Did you know true forgiveness releases you completely from the wrong? It's not part of your identity. You're not the person that did. Let me, let me do it th- this way. Maybe you were in a, grew up in a family. This picture's coming. You grew up in a family and uh, you know there's a number of kids and a couple times you were the guy who stole the cookies off the, the counter, off the, out of the cookie jar. And you knew it was wrong, but you liked cookies. You did that a few times and all of a sudden somebody older says, oh, it's, it's you, the little thief. Well, I'm sorry, I was hungry, I didn't mean to take it. Yeah, I forgive you. But the next time you're in the kitchen, somebody else says, oh, better put those cookies up, the little thief's head in here. What happens? True forgiveness didn't come, and they've linked your issue as your identity. You are not a thief. You are a child of God. You made some mistakes, but with forgiveness, you're released from that according to God. As far as the East is from the West, they don't ever meet. Do you get that? Don't you dare take your mistakes as your identity. That is not you. God says, I want you free, completely free from your sin. In Jeremiah 33 or 31, verse 33 to 34, and I'm just going to read the last verse actually. And thus says the Lord, I will forgive their wickedness and I will no longer remember their sin. What does that mean? When you go to the Lord and you say, will you forgive me for what I've done wrong? If you go back to him tomorrow and say, remember that really horrible thing I did? He's going to say, no, I don't. You asked me to forgive it. You asked me to forgive it because of what my son did on the cross. I don't remember it anymore. I choose not to, and I've removed it. Now that is good news. That is good news. If you're here tonight and you've been walking heavy because of your past, let it go. And of course, I've got to show you and tell you how to let it go. I want to start first by saying this. If you're here tonight and you've never accepted what Christ did for you, you know, you you say, I'm not a Christian. I've never asked Christ to forgive me and come into my life. If you've never done that, I want you to do that tonight because that's the beginning of forgiveness for all the past. And we do that simply, scripture says it's not a hard thing. In Romans 10 and verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth, so it's speaking, and you believe in your heart, that Christ died for you and rose again, it says you'll be saved. So today, if that's something you haven't done, I'm going to ask the whole group of you to join me if you want. Maybe there's one or two that haven't and we're not trying to point them out. So what I like to do is just lead you in a short prayer and you can repeat it. That's the using your mouth. So if you're here today and you say, I do believe it. I do want Christ's forgiveness. Then repeat this prayer after me. Do it now. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I ask you, forgive me of all my mistakes. Make me new. Bring complete forgiveness, total healing. I thank you, Jesus. My identity is in you, not my past. In Jesus' name, amen.